Hey, welcome everyone in this room. Welcome all of you who are in the Point, our overflow room watching there. It's a great experience in there. We're just so privileged that you're here with us. My name is John. I get to serve here as our lead pastor. And the other day, I was in my backyard doing some yard work, and I heard my youngest daughter crying, Daddy, help me. And so I started to run over to her, and as I'm running, I can tell by the tone of her voice that this is not a life or death emergency. She's almost chuckling as she's saying, Daddy, help me. And as I get closer, I see this predicament that she's gotten herself into. And it's so funny that even though she's in a predicament, I went ahead and stopped and pulled out my phone so I could record it. <laughs> so go ahead and take a look at my daughter Zoe, this predicament she got herself into. Here. Did you fall? Are you hurt? <laughs> so as you can see, Zoe was jumping off this playhouse and she has this skirt or dress on and it gets caught on the little plastic chimney there and she's just hanging there and she can't lift herself back up and hilarious moment for a kid. Uh, in our family, we watch America's Funniest Home Videos. The kids love watching it and so often the ones that win the big $10,000 prize, I'll look at it and just be like, that's just every day in our house. We got to start recording this stuff, you know, good retirement plan. So... Uh, so that's where I thought, okay, we'll record this one. You guys think we should send it in? Yeah, I think we will. Okay, all right. You know, worst case scenario, if they run it, you at least get a t-shirt. So if that happens, I will wear the t-shirt here, okay? <laughs> so, you know, when we're kids, we get in these predicaments. And as we get older, we have situations like this where we mean well and we have a good dream or intention and we jump out in life and sometimes we get hung up. Sometimes it doesn't go the way we want it. In fact, the older we get, the more serious it seems to get. Things that we thought would start well, a marriage that we thought was going to be great, and then we get in a place where it just seems like this, or a career that we thought would be fulfilling, and it doesn't turn out to be what we thought, or maybe financially, or maybe even in our own health. We assume that we'll always be healthy, but we get older, and we find that life just doesn't always go the way we wanted it to go. I know for my wife and me, we've experienced this in lots of different areas, in our marriage, in our health, and actually seeing our kids, here's two of our three, is a reminder to me of one of those things in life that didn't go for a season the way we thought it would. See, there was a season before we had our kids where we would get pregnant and we would go in and we'd hear that heartbeat and we'd get so excited and we'd start to dream and pray and then go in for another appointment where there wasn't a heartbeat. And time after time, that happened in that heartbreak, that disappointment. I remember I had so many questions for God during those times. And one of those questions was this, you know, what can I do? What can I do when my plans or my dreams, my hopes, what can I do when they fall apart? And maybe you're wondering that. I think if we're honest, we'd all love to know the answer to that question. You know, what can I do when I had this dream, I had this hope or this plan, and it just hasn't gone the way I thought it would? What can you do? What can we do? Well, to answer this question, we're going to hear from someone that I'm pretty sure everyone listening respects. We're going to actually hear from the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Tony Dungy, in a videotaped interview where he answers this question in his life. 
You see, long before he won the Super Bowl here for the Indianapolis Colts, Tony was a coach down in Florida for Tampa Bay, and he had a dream in his life that he would someday lead a team to the Super Bowl and win there, but that dream fell apart. That team in Tampa never did win the Super Bowl, and actually, not only did he lose his dream, but he lost his job. He gets fired when he's the coach in Tampa, and he has no idea what he's going to do next with his life. He can relate to us here, but I want you to hear his answer to this question. Let's go ahead and take a look at Tony Dungy. That's, to me, one of the hardest things in life when you have an idea of the way things are going to go, uh, what you hope for, what you dream about, what you pray for, and it doesn't come through. Uh, that's when it's easy to get disappointed with God. Why didn't it work? Why didn't it uh, pan out the way I thought it would? It was one of the biggest disappointments of my life because I did feel like the Lord had brought me down to Tampa. And I had to realize that it worked out. It just didn't work out the way I had planned it. I didn't know at the time when I got fired uh, what I was supposed to do. Um, was I supposed to look for something in Tampa outside of football, or was I supposed to look for another job, another city? And Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, called me. And he said, we're making a change at head coach with the Indianapolis Colts, and you're the guy that I want to be our coach. I believe in all the things that you believe in. We want to do things the right way. We want to win, but win with the right kind of people, and you're the guy to lead us. And that, that was a message that I really needed to hear at that point. favorite passage in the Bible is um, where Christ says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And with 31 years in the National Football League, I've seen that a lot. And so to me, that was the thing that I always wanted to, to tell my players. Um, don't, don't put this game first. Don't, don't make football, everything in your life, how we relate to each other, how we live, uh, what you have in your heart for eternity, uh, how you respond to the Lord. That's, that's the most important thing. This game will take care of itself. Even though we, you know, for four or five years had those bitter disappointments at the end of each year, I never gave up. Uh, it wasn't to the point where I said, hey, we can never win this thing, but I, I got to the point where if that is what God has in store. It'll be a bitter pill to swallow, but uh, I'm gonna be okay with that. We've been through a lot, and, and our slogan by that time was, it's our time. Um, you know, those disappointments were in the past, but now it's our time, and we gotta seize the moment, and, and we did that. Amazing thing in the locker room. Super Bowls are, are so different. As soon as you win, the celebration starts. You have a ceremony out on the field. It maybe takes 40 minutes to get everybody back together. 
Many of our players were just waiting. They said, Coach, we've got to finish this one like we have every other game. We've got to have the team prayer. And we asked that uh, the reporters shut their cameras down and let us pray. And I was so proud of the guys for, for hanging in there and saying, this is what we want to do. We want to honor the Lord in this victory. And uh, we did that. One photographer didn't honor our wishes. He took a picture of it, but that picture went all over the internet, went all over, and it was really a, a great tribute to what that team had in mind of, of putting the Lord first, even at the Super Bowl. Every decision I make in life, I'm gonna make it through the lens of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna put him out there first, and my own feelings, my own thoughts, my own desires are gonna be second. It's that simple, and if we do that, Christ promised that he would come into our lives, he'd be our head coach, and he'd guide us to, to that victory, that ultimate victory. I'm Tony Dungy, and I am second. When Tony says, I'm second, what he's saying is, I've decided in my life, I will follow Jesus. He'll be my leader. And when I'm going through a hard time and I lose my job and I don't know what to do, I'll follow Jesus. When I'm going through a good time and I'm celebrating a victory, I'll follow Jesus. And what Tony has seen, knowing all sorts of celebrities and millionaires and world famous people who have all the success and relationships and possessions that people think make them happy. What he's saying is, I've seen that it's actually following Jesus that brings peace, that can't be taken away by your circumstances. It brings a peace that even getting all the stuff you want in life can't provide. Maybe you noticed, Tony, he quoted Jesus in this passage from the Bible where Jesus says this, what good is it for someone if they gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul. And Tony said, this is essentially my life verse. This has defined me. And he said, I've seen it firsthand. And I remember as an investigative reporter, when I worked as a journalist, I remember seeing this not only with NFL athletes. One time I interviewed a guy, a businessman in his 40s. I wrote a profile on him. And this guy was worth $1 billion. So that's a million times 100 times 10. And he had, you know, Bentleys and Aston Martins and every classic car you would ever want. He had homes all over the country in all the most expensive locations. One of his houses had an 18-hole golf course. This guy had everything that this world has to offer. And in his 40s, he intentionally overdosed and took his own life because what he didn't have was peace. And Tony Dungy, having lived at that level of success, says, I've seen it firsthand. The real peace we're all looking for, it doesn't come from all the stuff in this world. It comes from having a relationship with Jesus. You see, this word soul, it's this ancient Greek word suke. It's where we get our word psychology. You have a soul, that is, you have an inner person. That's what separates you from the animals. As a human being, you're made in the image of God, and you have this internal part of you called a soul. And no one else can see your soul. Only you can. And one of the amazing things about being made in the image of God is you have this free will in your soul that you can choose what you will love, what you will believe, what you will do. Your parents can't choose it for you. Your spouse, your in-laws, no one else can choose what you will believe in your soul. It's deeply internal, and it's also eternal. 
your soul will outlive your body. 100 years from now, all of our bodies will be dead somewhere. But all of our souls will still be alive somewhere. And so Jesus says this, what good would it be if you got everything this world has to offer, but you still didn't have internal peace for your soul, and you still didn't have eternal life for your soul, which will live 20 more lifetimes after this earth, either in the presence of God or separated from God. You could put Jesus' teaching this way, you can gain everything, but lose it life, If you don't have Christ, you could get the houses, the cars, you could get whatever it is that you've been looking for in life, that next promotion, that increase in your GPA or your net worth, that next relationship, that next possession, you could get that thing. And by the way, those things aren't evil or bad. There's nothing wrong with working hard and having nice things and having great relationships. God designed us to enjoy life. But if you look to those things to satisfy your inner soul you'll be let down. You could get all those things and still lose it life. Many people do. But if you don't have Christ, you're not going to get that peace you want. This is kind of the bad news. I want to give you a a picture of this because Jesus as God, and and, and this is just kind of a refresher, but Jesus, what makes him unique is that he claimed to be God. And we who follow him believe he was God. So he was fully human, cried tears, he bled blood, but he was also God. And the idea is that God, when he saw humanity struggling under our evil and our problems, he chose to become a human in the person of Jesus. And so sometimes Jesus will teach these simple ideas like this, and they're a little hard for us to understand because he's God and he just sees things from such a big perspective. So I want to give you a really simple picture of this that I think we can all grasp. It's a guy named Donald Savistano. Donald Savistano won the lottery in December of 2017. These pictures were taken in January of 2018. He won $1 million. Let's see a raise of hands if you'd like to win a $1 million. I'm like, multiple hands here, okay? Won a $1 million. Here's a picture of him with his check for $1 million. And then now here's the irony of Donald Savistano's story. He got this check and the money went into his bank account and the very next day, he went to the emergency room with some symptoms. And the doctors in the emergency room looked at him, this is all true story, and they said, you have undiagnosed, very advanced stage four cancer. And here's the tragic irony of Donald Savistano's story. He won a million dollars, he spent the rest of his life in a hospital and three weeks later he died, breathed his last breath tragically ironic true story. So here's my question for you. Maybe you don't even believe in God yet, but just think about Donald Savistano. Would you rather win a million dollars today if tomorrow you'd go to the ER and live for three more weeks and then die? Or would you rather go about your normal life with your warts and zits and toe fungus and broken relationships and have your normal messed up life for three or four you know, decades, 30 or 40 years, which one would you pick? Right? Obviously, you'd take the longer life without the million dollars over the million dollars and you're gonna die. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. As God among us, he says, you might not realize it, but that 30 or 40 or 50 years you have left on earth, that's essentially like the three weeks 
your real life is going to happen in the next life. So what good would it be if you won millions of dollars for those three weeks and then died instead of having an eternity, Jesus says, where you're actually with God? Think about your eternal life and think about the peace you can have in this life. You know, Jesus said you can gain everything but lose it life if you don't have him. Why is this? Why do we die? Why is it that 100 years from now, for most of us 50 years from now, our bodies will have died? Well, the answer is this. Because of this S word, you know, you're about to hear a pastor say a bad word, sin. (laughs) This is an unacceptable word in our culture, but it's an important word word you know some of us we have this idea that sin is because god is just this angry unhappy giant in the sky who just wants to club us and he's mad all the time but really what sin is is this idea that god is the creator of life and he's the source of life he only does good things sin is anything that causes death or leads to death, or to destruction of God's creation, which includes other people. So anything that would hurt another person, or hurt yourself, God calls it a sin, and he says those things are off limits because I want you to have a life that is full of life. So don't steal from other people because that hurts them. And don't ever hurt yourself physically because that hurts you and you're made in my image. You're eternally valuable and dignified. So God calls these things that would hurt ourselves or others sin. And sin separates us from God. And until we get reconnected back to God, we will lack peace and we will not have eternal life. Scripture puts it this way in Romans 3. It says that everyone, all of humanity, has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So when the Bible says that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, we shouldn't take it too personally because it says that everyone is. So that includes the Pope and all the famous religious people you know of, every pastor you'll ever meet. You know the people in your house have sinned, right? You know that about your parents and your, and your siblings. And we all have. We've all done at least some one thing that hurt ourselves or hurt someone else. And here's the thing. If God loves us, why don't we all just automatically go to heaven when we die? And the answer is this, because God can't have sin in his presence, but we all have sin in us. Now, here's a a really simple analogy of this, and I hope I don't offend anyone with it, but our family recently got a puppy. And I've shared this with some of you. It's a really cute dog. I love this dog, except for one thing that puppies sometimes poop. And I like having this dog in my house, but I don't like having this dog's messes in my house. And so as a family, we decided if we're gonna keep this dog, we're gonna potty train this dog so that it goes outside because we love the dog, but we don't really want the dog's doo-doo in our house. Now, that's a really low-level example, but it is essentially a clear analogy that God is holy. That's the, that's the Bible word for it. He's without sin. We all have sin in us, but sin's not allowed in God's house, so how could we get into God's house? And the answer is that somehow we have to be cleansed or we have to be healed. Sin, if you think of it, is almost like a virus, You know how a virus is? A lot of them are spread by our breath and our germs. So one person who has the sickness sneezes. 
and another person inhales it and those germs go into the body and the virus starts to spread. Sin is the same way. What is sin? It's essentially a spiritual sickness that separates us from God and it has infected all of humanity. It's infected all people. I don't know if you can think of a time in your life where you've been really, really sick. I've had a few times like that in my life where you're just, you can't even get out of bed. You're so sick. If you've ever been sick like that, when you're really, really sick, you don't just need a little help. You need a healing. You need to be healed from the sickness. And here's the difference between religion and churchy tradition and actually having a living, breathing, dynamic relationship with God through Jesus. The difference is this. Religion is for people who think, I'm pretty good on my own, I'm pretty moral, and every once in a while, I'll ask God for some help. That's religion. A relationship with Jesus is acknowledging there's parts of me that are, are broken. Call it sin, call it mistakes, call it whatever you want, but there's parts of me that are broken, and I don't just need a little help from God, I need healing. I need him to forgive me, I need him to cleanse me, I need him to change me. So at this point, especially if you're our guest, you might be thinking, okay, great, thank you whoever invited me to Easter, because you said it was going to be inspiring and really hope-filled, and so far the pastors talked about a guy who won the lottery and died, and that if I get everything I ever want in life, I won't actually be happy. So, so far we've covered the bad news, right? The bad news is that you can get everything this world offers and still lose it life if you don't have Christ. But now let's flip to the good news. The good news is this. You could lose everything you wanted in this life. Maybe that marriage never, it, it just didn't work out. Or that career, maybe there's things, there's regrets you have that you think that could never be fixed in this life. You can still win in life and you can win in eternity if you do have Christ. You could lose everything in this life, but win in eternity if you do have Christ. Why does Christ make all the difference? Why does Jesus make all the difference? And here's the answer. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. This is why one out of three people in the world this weekend is celebrating Easter. Because when Jesus was crucified on a cross, he wasn't just a man being publicly tortured and killed, but it was God willingly absorbing upon himself the punishment for your mistakes, the consequences for my sins. All of your shame he took upon himself so you don't have to live under shame. All of your guilt he took upon himself so you don't have to wake up every day as a guilty person, you can wake up as a forgiven person. He took our cancer upon himself. He took our wars and genocides. He took all the evils of humanity and all the specific mistakes and sins in each of our lives. He absorbed all that upon himself so that anyone who believes in him can become sinless in the eyes of God, can become forgiven. God puts it this way in Romans 5 verse 8, that God demonstrates his love for you in this way. You know, love proves itself in actions. You know, different people in life say, I love you, and sometimes they're saying that so they can just get something from you or manipulate you. Love shows itself in actions, and God, he doesn't just say, I love you, but when he saw that there was sin on you so you couldn't be in heaven for eternity, he said, I will go down there among them, and I will suffer in their place. I would rather leave heaven and endure agony 
than spend eternity without you. So I will go and die on the cross so that you can have salvation and eternal life. When we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. So what is Easter? Well, Easter is the day when Jesus cured humanity's sickness, our infection. And he did this so that our souls, our internal person, can have peace in this life. You can have peace in this life. No matter what you're going through, I mean, just like when Tony Dungy, he was in Tampa Bay, he loses his job. He has no idea if he's ever going to coach football again or what his life's going to be like, but he still had this internal peace because he's a follower of Jesus. I've sensed this peace when I'm being, you know, wheeled into an MRI tube to have brain scans because they don't know what's going on in my head. Well, now we do, okay, but physically for a while we didn't, Okay. I realized as I said that, like, we don't know what's going on in my head. Okay. You can, but you can have peace when you're getting wheeled into surgery. You can have peace when you're going through unthinkable suffering through a relationship with Jesus. Not only that, you can have eternal life. Meaning, I'm not afraid of death anymore. I don't necessarily look forward to it. But I know that when my life on earth ends, my life in God's house begins and it's as real as the ground I'm standing on. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he is a historically documented figure. He's not a myth. I used to be an investigative reporter, so I'm a skeptic by nature. I'm cynical by nature. And there was a time where I thought, maybe this whole Jesus thing was made up by those weirdo Christians, you know? And I started to look into it. And here's what I found. Outside of the Bible, completely separate from Christians, there are ancient historians from the time of Jesus who document that he lived, that he claimed to be God, that he was crucified, and that his followers all said he rose from the grave. You can look it up. Guys like Josephus, Suetonius, Tacitus, those are just three of ancient historians who were not Christians and who were not in the Bible who document that Jesus lived. We know he was a real man. He's as documented as any ancient figure in history. We know that he was crucified. Not only that he was crucified, we know the day, it was a Friday, and we know that it was in Jerusalem, and we know that thousands of people gathered around because he was a famous teacher, and we know that on the Sunday following, his tomb was empty, and that soon his followers started saying, we've seen Jesus not just as a vision, but we've touched him. And he said he would absorb all our consequences of our sins. Not only did he die for us, but he showed that he's God by raising back to life. Now, it's a lot to take in, isn't it? So I want to give you a picture of what that looks like. And you might not have thought when you got invited to Easter that you'd be watching a Superman clip. But this is a clip from the film Superman Returns. And let me set up what's going on here. In this clip, Superman is ridding the world of an evil that is spreading like an infection and about to kill all of humanity. Now, in this case, it's called kryptonite. Kryptonite is to Superman as sin is to God. It's the one thing he can't have in his presence. And, and kryptonite will kill Superman, but he sees that this kryptonite is spreading around planet Earth. It's going to kill everybody, and so he decides, I will go down there among them, and I will take this evil upon myself so that I can rid the world of this evil and death, even if it kills me in the process. Let's take a look.
It's kind of morbid, Perry. Always be prepared. God so loved the world, God so loves you, that when he saw evil creeping and growing like an infection across all of human history and in our own hearts and lives, he sent his only son to come down into our world as a savior. And he willingly took upon himself the pain, the suffering, the agony of all your mistakes and all my mistakes and all the evils that have been done to us and all the evils that we have done. And he willingly took it all upon himself. And when he was nailed to that cross, having been stripped naked and mocked by a crowd of people who were shouting crucify him, who hated him, even in that moment, Jesus called out to God the Father and he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They don't want my help, but I'm still going to give them my help, and I will still agonize to reach them, even if they reject me. And God so loved his world, he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish. Your soul will not spend an eternity apart from Christ, but can spend an eternity with God in heaven, and your soul, your inner person, can have peace in this life. That's why as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, shivering and gasping and trying to get enough air in his lungs, with his final words, he cried out, it is finished. And what he was saying in that moment is that this was not just an ordinary crucifixion. This was the moment when just like the clip we saw, a hero savior came to earth and willingly took upon himself all the evil that spans generations and centuries of world history. All the pain in every crevice of your heart. All the pain in every link of your family chain and branch of your family tree. All the brokenness, all the evil, he took it upon himself. And in that moment when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross as the sky starts to turn dark to thunderstorm and those non-Christian ancient historians document that the earth started to shake and there was an earthquake, there was a Roman soldier standing there, grizzled Roman soldier who would kill people every day as part of his job. And he looks up at this famous prophet teacher who claimed to be God. And as the sky darkens and he sees this man say, Father, forgive them. And it is finished. This Roman soldier says, surely this was the son of God. And for a couple days, it seemed like God had been killed by evil. It seemed like when God took all our wrongs upon himself, it overwhelmed him. But just like the clip that we saw, 
there was a Sunday morning when two women approached the grave of Jesus, which had been guarded by soldiers because he said he was going to rise from the dead. And when they get there, the soldiers are all gone, and this giant stone has been pushed away. And just like that hospital bed, the grave is empty. And Jesus soon starts appearing to his followers showing in physical form there was one follower named thomas who said i'm not going to believe he raised from the dead until i touch him with my own hands and so jesus says thomas go ahead you know feel and thomas feels and this guy who never had an army or a palace or political power or a kingdom his followers are so convinced that they've seen him raised to life that they start going and telling everyone and it starts to spread. And this guy who 2,000 years ago said, my followers will tell other people and this movement of mine, it will spread to every corner of the earth. He said that before airplanes, before fax machines, before electricity or automobiles. He made this impossible prediction. Alexander the Great, Nero, ancient Egyptian pharaohs, none of those people have millions of followers today, but Jesus today has one out of three people in the world following him. Why is it? It's because those few hundred people did see a dead man raised to life, and they went out and told others, and in every generation, there are people like me and like Tony Dungy and like a lot of the people around you in this room who choose to believe and when we believe, we experience a power that can't be explained, a power that sets us free from old addictions, a power that changes the way we think, a power that improves our relationships for the better. And think about this, if Jesus wasn't real, if he wasn't God and wasn't supernatural, it would only take one generation in history for Christianity to die out. But every generation, Every decade, every century, every week, every day, there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people who say, I do believe. I don't fully understand it, but I believe. And he so changes our lives that we then go and tell others. And that's why rooms like this are full and two billion people this weekend are worshiping Jesus as God. Well, if you've never believed, you can experience it today. I want to tell you two very brief stories of people who've believed here in the last few years. The first is a guy who had lost everything in this life. You know, Jesus said you could lose everything in this life, but if you find me, you'll still win. This guy, Shane, I told some of you about Shane last week. Shane was addicted to meth. That's a terrible drug. Uh, he was addicted to meth from the age of 19 to the age of 46. He had started trying alcohol and drugs when he was age 12, gets addicted to meth at 19, Meth, like heroin and other drugs, is almost impossible humanly to get out of that addiction. Three years ago this week, Shane placed his faith in Jesus as God. He didn't fully understand it, but he said, I know I'm broken, I believe Jesus is God and I need his help, and he stepped out in faith to believe. And here's a guy who had lost everything in this world, but he found Christ, and now he's winning at life. Shane's been free from his meth addiction for three years now, He's married a Christian woman, and God is starting to restore relationships from Shane's past. His mom, who was depressed, he's now brought her to church, and she's believed in Jesus, and her life is changing. And here's a picture of what Shane looks like today. He had lost everything in this life, 
but he found Christ and now he's winning in life. Doesn't mean he won't go through hard things, but he has that peace internally and he knows he has eternal life. Now I'll tell you about someone else who came to Christ here at Connection Point. And this is a person who had everything in this life by earthly definitions and still does. Had a a great career, a business that he had started, worth millions of dollars, a marriage that has lasted for decades, but he didn't have Jesus. And here's what he found, that as he gained everything this world had to offer, he still lacked that internal peace. And I remember talking to him about, hey, how did you come to Christ? And he said, I'm not one of those people who my life was broken and falling apart, and I, I was like, I have to have God, but I just didn't have an internal peace. He had an employee at his company who's one of our people here at Connection Point. And as a follower of Jesus, that employee just demonstrated the peace, the joy that are available to followers of Jesus. And here's the quote from this gentleman who did have everything the world has to offer but didn't have Christ. He said this, he had a peace that I needed a piece of. He was experiencing what it is to have everything this world has to offer, but still not have this peace. And through a follower of Jesus, he found a relationship with Jesus. And now, yeah, he hasn't lost the stuff in this world. He's still got that stuff. But he knows that when this world ends, where he's going to spend eternity. And in this world, he now knows that he has a source of peace that doesn't depend on his net worth or his success or his circumstances. God wants this for you today. Whether you're over here and you've lost everything in the world, or over here and you have everything, or you're somewhere in the middle, doesn't matter where you are in life, the only source of true peace and eternal life is found in Jesus. So how do you receive this? How do you receive this forgiveness and this healing? How do you receive this peace and eternal life? I mean, what do you do to get it? Maybe you think, well, uh, maybe I need to pay money to get it, right? You'll hear churches say that, like, give us your money and then you'll have peace from God. Don't ever believe that, okay? You can't buy God's peace with money. There was only one way, because remember, what keeps us separated from God is sin. And the only way to pay for sin was done by Jesus on the cross. He's already paid your payment, but you do have to receive it. Maybe you think, well, I've got to do enough good deeds, I think a lot of us, if we were on in a hospital bed today and knew, okay, we're going to die in the next 24 hours, we'd start to think, oh man, have I done more good things than bad things? Because a lot of us, we got told that as kids, either by a church or by our parents, like, make sure you do more good things than bad things because God has this big scale. And, but the Bible says that's not the way it works at all. The Bible says none of us could do enough good things because doing the good things, it doesn't rid us of the sin, There's only one way to be rid of that, and that's to receive the work of what Jesus did on the cross. It's available as a free gift, but you got to have a moment in your life where you say, I receive the gift by believing, by believing that, you know what, Jesus, you are God, and I do believe I need your help, and I call out to you. You know, belief is a really interesting thing. Faith is a really interesting thing, because I think what keeps some of us from believing is this false idea that you have to have it all figured out and you have to have every question answered. Uh, But let me kind of put that idea to rest because I'm pretty sure when we came in here and sat in these chairs, I didn't see anyone crawling under the chair like inspecting every weld on the chair. You know, you sat down in that chair that you're in by faith. You just assumed it would hold you up. 
And unless you're that one person in row 38B, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, you just, you knew like, yeah, you know, it, you, you didn't understand it all. When you get on a commercial jet to fly somewhere, you don't necessarily understand how every piece of that jet works or everything the pilot has been trained in, but you, have, you just have faith and it's a choice. It's a movement of your will. And so it's similar. I mean, I started out my relationship with God as a skeptic. I wasn't sure if God existed, but I just started saying, God, if you're there, I wanna believe in you. If you're my creator and you made me, and fulfillment's found when I'm connected to you, then by all means, I mean, I want to believe in you if you're there. I mean, I even remember praying, if you're not there, I don't want to waste my time. But if you are, I do want that. And it was sincere. I meant it. And God honored that prayer. So wherever you are in your journey today, faith is just saying, with my soul, with my free will, I choose to believe Jesus is God. I might still have some questions to be answered, but I'm going to take that step out. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to rest in what Jesus has done for me. Scripture puts it this way in Romans 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and that word Lord means God. So if you'll have a moment where you say, yeah, Jesus is God, and if you'll believe in your heart, that's your suke, that's your soul, that's your inner person, that God raised him from the dead. This is why Easter is what Christianity is all about. If you'll believe Jesus is God and he rose from the grave, you'll be saved. Because you receive it, you say, he died not only for the sins of the world, but for my sins. Verse continues and it says this, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. This word justified is there's an old Sunday school definition for it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So when you believe in Jesus in a way that says, Jesus, you're God, I need you to fix what's broken in me. I need you to forgive my mistakes. What actually happens in the spiritual realm is God, he now sees when he looks at you, he doesn't see sin anymore. He sees his son. You've been justified just as if you've never sinned. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. In other words, if you really believe this, you'll be willing to say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Just like Tony Dungy did in that video. Might not always be popular. There's some people who have stereotypes of Christians who misunderstand what we're about, but I'm a follower of Jesus. I know he's God and I've believed in him. And I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. But that's where I've found my peace. That's where I've found my freedom. So I believe God brought you here today so that you can know for sure that you've received this free gift. And you know, if you'd close your eyes and connect with God here in this moment, if you just close your eyes and just think you and God, this creator who made you, before you were born, he's not limited by time. He designed you, he knit you together in your mother's womb and he knew every difficult thing you'd encounter in life. And he sees you and he has compassion on you and he loves you as you are, but he loves you so much that he doesn't just want you to stay where you are. He wants you to have his peace in this life. He wants you to know a full identity and security of being his son or his daughter. And he wants you in his house for 20 lifetimes and 30 lifetimes and an eternity of lifetimes when your soul goes into the next life. So if you're believing today, it's that movement of the will. If you believe in the heart, you're justified. If you're not sure how to do that, you can just 
kind of call out to God in your heart and just say some, some ideas like this, like, you know, God, I, I know I need your help. Today I choose to believe. I choose to believe, Jesus, and I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I receive your forgiveness. God, would you adopt me into your family? Would you wash away my mistakes and my sins? Would you set me free from anything that I'm addicted to or enslaved to? Would you help me to walk in this newness of life and really live out my full identity as a son or a daughter of the King? Whether you're believing that for the very first time, or maybe you've believed that in the past in this Easter, God's saying, hey, you gotta get back into the family of God. You gotta be in a church family if you really wanna live this new life. Or, or maybe you're here and it's just like, you know, I need that reminder. Jesus, he rose from the grave. He can beat anything that's broken in my life. Wherever you are, the word that summarizes all of this is grace. Grace is undeserved forgiveness. And we're about to just listen to these words of a classic song, Amazing Grace. Amazing forgiveness that I didn't deserve. As you hear these words, just cry out to God, call out to him from your heart and just say, God, I need your grace. I want your grace. Let's connect with him now. <laughs>